That said, Ramil, we got Hemel on the line here. What do you want to ask him? I have this tendency to uh, overthink. Can you look, tell me a little bit about how you guys research for these properties? I mean, if you're looking at multiple asset classes, it's easy to get distracted. What we did was we got data points on uh, literally every town in the United States that has more than 50,000 in population. And we honed in on a subset of markets and said, these are the 20 or 15 that we would love to focus on. Then we created a team of acquisitions folks who have basic criteria. So we have a multi-step diligence process on each asset class. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 78 and part of our Ask the Expert series. Today, we have experienced investor Hemel Badiani and aspiring investor Ramil Torres. Keep listening for advice on how to rapidly check to see if a deal meets your criteria and how to build a team. And now, the show. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. Today is one of our Ask the Expert episodes, and I'm super excited for it. We got two great people on the line with us. We got a guy with a ton of experience in this and other businesses, Hemel Badiani, and a very motivated, aspiring investor, Ramil Torres. So Hemel is the founder and managing partner of Exponential Equity. He started his real estate investing career in 2012, and founded Exponential Equity to focus on his passion of helping busy families achieve financial freedom through commercial real estate. Prior to establishing Exponential Equity, Helm provided management consulting services to several Fortune 100 companies across three continents while creating a portfolio of businesses that he scaled and exited, including an outsourcing company and a private lending firm. Hemel lives with his wife and twin children in Charlotte, North Carolina, loves golfing, music, and reading. Well, Hemel, that's impressive. So that said, welcome to the show. Glad to be here and thank you for inviting me. Thanks for being on. I'm so glad that we met. So let's talk about uh, you for a second. You know, Give us an idea of who Hemel is and give us a little bit of your background and your history and you know, take us up to when you decided to get into multifamily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, grew up as a family of business owners back in India, came here to study, to come to the land of opportunities and, mm-hmm. and make a mark here. Uh, shortly after I went to college here in Charlotte, uh, joined a consulting firm that took me around the globe and uh, it was really great in terms of experience because I sat down with more than about 20 companies, uh, C-suite, and mm-hmm. helped them build their competencies and processes and systems and strategies on how to merge, how to scale, how to be efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, so great, great experience to learn from the best of the best uh, in terms of the largest companies of the world. And uh, I think about 15 years into that, um, had twin kids and really wanted to hang up my traveling boots. And at that point, uh, really wanted to go back and internalize all the skills and competencies that I'd built along with my business background and my family business background, bring it all to the, to the fore and uh, build a company with a great vision, culture, and uh, employees that are really looking towards uh, the leadership um, and so that's how exponential equity got formed. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, so uh, twin kids, boy, girl, girl, two girls, two boys. What do you got? 
boy and girl just turned five. Nice. Uh, super exciting uh, time of life. And uh, every day I get about 25,000 questions from each of them. So <laughs> really uh, hones in my patience and focus. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got a five-year-old of our own. And if, if, if you're, your five-year-olds are anything like mine, I mean, you got your hands full. So. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, one plus one is three in this yeah, one. You know, um, my, my next door neighbor has twin five-year-old boys and yeah. it seems like she has more kids than we do. We've got five kids, but uh, I mean, it, it almost seems like just with, with two five-year-olds with that amount of energy, yes. she, she's got twice as much on her hand as we do. So yeah. yeah. In that case, twins, one plus one is five. I, I believe. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, good enough. Good enough. So immigrated from, from India. How old were you when you came, came over? I was a naive 19 mm-hmm. when I came here. <laughs> Didn't know anyone. Uh, came to Charlotte and uh, really went uh, a fantastic journey since then. Mm-hmm. Now, have, have you lived here in the U.S. or in Charlotte ever since? I uh, actually had a great stint in London for mm-hmm. about five years. Okay. Chased my then girlfriend, now my wife, to the U.K. Uh, <laughs> she, she lived there and... Uh, really convinced her that Charlotte's the, the best place in the world to live. So we've been back since about 12 years now. Okay, nice. nice. I, I do like the Charlotte area. My, my wife yeah. grew up uh, just outside of Columbia. And, uh, you know, just, just because the Columbia airport's a, a, a small airport, it would either fly in through Charlotte or through Atlanta. Yeah. Um, but uh, Charlotte's a beautiful area. You know, I love the Carolinas for, for lots of reasons. So when you decided to, to build your, your company, what brought you to real estate? Yeah, I grew up with uh, one of my uncles. He was a big real estate investor back in India. So actively, well, passively, we've been investing since 2012. And mm-hmm. uh, even when I was working in the consulting business, both in Charlotte, you know, building a portfolio of townhomes and new construction, and also back in India, buying a, a lot of land and uh, apartments there. So it was just natural inclination knowing I knew the math, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, simple enough. You put in put in your money, somebody else lives there, they pay yeah. the mortgage. It's beautiful over a period of time, you build equity. Yeah. Um, so just a very predictable, uh, hard asset and a very predictable nature of the investment and the return mm-hmm. uh, was always appealing. Uh, yeah. And when you and when you do it right once, you know, everything else kind of flows and cascades for multiple, multiple years, rather than trying to speculate on a day in, day out basis, Mm -hmm. which other asset classes look at. So that's where it got very natural for me to get into real estate. Yeah, I I got my first taste of that buying a single family investment. Now, this is 2007, uh, right before the crash. Fortunately, it was Salt Lake City, which didn't experience much of the crash as far as real estate goes. Yeah. And it was was eye-opening. I mean, I watched the value of the house climb. Yeah. I watched my debt go down as the the tenants paid off the the mortgage for me. Yeah, and I mean that and another couple of houses is, is what really launched my multifamily career. You know, I think I turned three thousand into you know or, you know six figures on that first deal. So um, that that's just one deal changes your life. That's yeah. a, such a cliche, but anyone who's experienced that they yeah. they never think the same again. You know, and and for me, it wasn't life changing money. I mean, six yeah. figure paydays is not going to last long. But uh, yeah. the the mindset change is is yeah. what really changed my life. Now you're you're into more than just multifamily, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we always uh, you know in Fortune hundred companies, they all they specialize in one or two things. Mm-hmm. 
But then they always look to diversify and really pivot and be on their toes because every two or three months, the the economics could change, right? Mm-hmm. So my vision has always been to have everything associated with real estate, mm-hmm. a vertically integrated firm to be created that allows us to have property management along with asset management and multiple asset classes. Because mm-hmm. if you just focus on one market or one asset class, in my opinion, you tend to get impatient, sometimes overpay and and really make investments that may or may not make sense to you or to your investors. So currently we are focused on multifamily, new uh, land acquisitions for new development, uh, triple net leases and office buildings will expand as we get more operational expertise and competencies and partners. uh, we'll, We'll look to expand into other asset classes as well. Nice. Nice. Now I know you're in Charlotte and I know a couple of your multifamily assets are in Charlotte is, is, or in, in North Carolina. Is, is that your focus area or are you doing other stuff in the U.S. as well? Yeah, again, we, we're not just focused on North Carolina. One asset we own is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Another one is in Louisiana. So we focus on the southeast, uh, three or four states in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and then Texas. And really not just trying to go for the top five markets or top 10 markets. Most of the people are looking to that. And again, my, my thesis is a little contrarian. I, I like to go left when everybody's going right. Yeah. Uh, and we look, look for secondary tertiary markets that are not the most climbing in terms of population growth or anything of that sort, mm-hmm. uh, the typical key measures that one would look at, but have good enough tailwinds and a community of people that want to live there in great, great, great places, right? So investing there, our time, our effort, building a community that allows good folks, good families to live there uh, and really creating that impact Mm -hmm. in cities outside of the top 10, 20 is what we focus on. Yeah, you know, and I mean, top 10 cities, I I think whenever a top 10 list, it's just the same thing with stocks, you know, whenever a top 10 list of stocks come out, you know, the second that list hits the street, those stocks are going to be overvalued. You know, the same same thing happens with with multifamily. I mean, it's, there's a little bit longer between the flash and the bang, but top 10 list comes out. And incidentally, Charlotte is usually in every single top 10 list. Yes. Yes. Everybody's going to flock there, you know, which uh, increases competition, which also increases prices. So yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that that's a smart approach. You know, we, we typically also kind of stay away from the primary markets and in, in the top 10 markets as well. And I think we're able to find a lot more deals with less competition. Yep. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about your, your big burning why. I mean, you, you briefly mentioned it before, but let's, let's go into a little more detail. What's, what's your motivation for doing this? Yeah. I'll tell you a little story. I mean, uh, most people, either change because of inspiration or desperation. So I had one event in my life uh, about four and a half years back. My one-year-old daughter then, uh, I was up in Boston for a consulting gig and I got a phone call from my wife one evening that my one-year-old daughter has a skull fracture, something bumped. And, you know, as as you are a parent of five-year-old, you can imagine what goes mm-hmm. through in your mind at that stage. You're trying to find a flight, you're trying to physically be by your family. And and at that stage, I was traveling every week, trying to help other clients and Fortune 100 firms. 
Um, so that just, you know, everything fortunately went fine. She, she didn't need any surgery or anything of that sort. You know, friends and family helped us ensure that there was enough people around my wife and my, my uh, immediate family that allowed us to make sure that she was okay. Mm-hmm. But that, that incident said, where am I renting my time? So something clicked in my brain. Uh, is this the way I want to be? Do I want to build a career where I'm spending 80 hour weeks outside I'm not spending time on priorities and focus, or is there other ways to really create a life of my choosing, mm-hmm. right? Where I don't have to worry about getting late because I have a flat tire, for example. Yeah. So that just cascaded into a journey of education, investments, first into single family, mm-hmm. uh, change of the jobs, you know, went from management consulting to the finance industry. Uh, and really allowed me to focus on oh, a better work-life balance than uh, than I had before. And, yeah. you know, that extra hours of time that I was not traveling or working on weekends, I really dedicated myself to building that educational competency over the last few years and, and before I dove in. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's that's something that resonates with a lot of people. I mean, Sometimes it takes an event like that to see things for how they are, you know, and yeah. uh, I think a lot of people are looking to do the exact same thing that you're doing and be closer to the people that you love and and not miss that, you know? So yeah. I don't know. I, I look back at uh, what I've done, you know, I'm 19 and a half years in, in the military and sometimes I wish I would have picked family a lot earlier, but that's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing too, is, is to be close to family. So, yeah. And making the years count, whatever time is there with you in in this world, making it count, leaving an impact, being with the people, being doing the things that you would want and really passionate about uh, and, and, you know, stop chasing things that don't make sense. Every person comes to that point at different stages in in their lives. And I'm glad I did that Mm -hmm. three or four years back. So that worst incident from my perspective is also the best lesson learned that really changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Sometimes misfortune can get turned into opportunity. The unfortunate event of a skull fracture, you got you to really rethink exactly what you were doing and put you on a better path. So let's shift gears a little bit right now. Let's let's talk a little bit about some of the the projects you've done uh, inside multifamily. Yeah, absolutely. So we have, we just started in 2020 in the multifamily space and pre-COVID really had the good fortune to find two mentors and attend a few networking events to allow us to build a consortium of partners that we could work with, right? I quickly figured out again from a consulting world background, everything is a team sport, right? And I would rather have 1% of 100 people's efforts rather Mm -hmm. than 100% of my own. Right. And I don't come from a construction background. So I really needed the competency of operational partners around me in different asset classes that I was trying to uh, participate in. And then the complementary skill of scaling, systematizing, bringing processes, bringing discipline. That was my job as the CEO of Exponential Equity uh, to bring to the table. So that's how we allowed ourselves through 2020 to invest passively in three communities during the spring and summertime in the midst of COVID, mm-hmm. which, you know, we, we were very grateful for that we understood the fundamentals and didn't slow down when everybody else was taking a step back. Mm-hmm. And then we've also invested in uh, 
two active communities as co-sponsors, uh, one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. one in uh, Louisiana, as I'd mentioned. And each of these assets were, again, against the grain. These were assets that were coming up at significant discount on the purchase price, uh, A, because of COVID, and B, mm-hmm. because they were lower occupancy, a little distressed. So allows us to put in our sweat equity, turn things around uh, very positively, not trying to raise rents or anything of that sort, given where we are from an economic standpoint, but really creating a better environment for more people to come and live in that community mm-hmm. and re- renovations, et cetera, that allows it to have that f- uh, familial type of attitude uh, with our environment and atmosphere within the community that lots yeah. of families would get attracted to live in there. So that's what we've been doing. And, uh, you know, our, our model for that one, just speaking is an example very shortly on one of the deals for Tulsa, we, we, we own 208 units there. Uh, we, we bought it again at, you know, let's say 60 cents on the dollar from a mm-hmm. purchase standpoint. We will be returning all of capital from the investors that we took for the renovations and closing back in 18 months. That's the goal, 100%, and refinance at that stage and leave a perpetual equity uh, for a long period of time in the, ta- in the, in the yeah. game. So investors are excited that they would earn a fantastic double-digit return uh, in the first 18 months get their capital back now that they can invest, given where the yep. stock market is or other asset classes might be, they have the flexibility of not getting locked in for 10 years, mm-hmm. bring back that capital, reinvest it somewhere, while also yeah. in bringing infinite returns in terms of equity build uh, in the asset because 100% would be refinanced. Yeah. So those are unicorns, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we could find them, again, when we kept an open mind we understood the risks associated with the COVID environment. We understood what the market and the submarket brought to the table from a Tulsa perspective. And we understood what really was going on with the asset. It was you know, not mismanaged from a property perspective. The fundamentals and the economics were strong. Mm-hmm. Asset itself was mismanaged. So we could come in, marry up that opportunity in preparation and our education, our investment strategy to really hone in something that provided a fantastic value for our investors. Yeah, and a, cu- a couple of points I, I I'd like to hone in hone in on is is number one creating communities. You know, you mentioned that a couple of minutes ago. It, it's something that makes tenants sticky. You know, it, it yeah. does cost more, and I think a lot of people will kind of shy away from the extra costs of creating communities. You know, like the events that you can throw. We had like a back to school event at one of our our communities. You know, eighty unit apartment. You know, yeah. we we paid for you know food and for bouncy houses and every everything else. But if you can create that community, the tenants are going to be a little more loyal and yes. a lot more sticky. Okay. And so it ends up paying for itself, you know, all the way down, down the line. And, and the other thing that, that you mentioned, and I, I just heard this quote, you know, once again, from Warren Buffett yesterday, you know, be greedy when everybody else is fearful, you yes. know, go against the grain, you know, sometimes going against the grain is, is how you find the unicorns, you know, not, not every deal is going to be a unicorn or a, or a home run string together a bunch of base hits and you win ball games, you know, is what, what I learned as a kid. And I think it's the same thing as real estate. Every once in a while you hit that home run though. So yeah. Um, yeah. It sounds like a, an amazing deal. I'm sure your investors are, are super excited. I'd be excited to be in that deal myself. So, yeah. so what's, what's next for you and what's next for, for your company? 
Yeah, so we are uh, scaling into multiple asset classes. Um, for multifamily, we have about a few hundred uh, units under contract right now uh, that we are performing the due diligence on. And, you know, 2021, uh, January or February timeframe, we'll be closing on one or more mm-hmm. of those opportunities. And those are more in the North Carolina, Southeast side of the, the United States. And then uh, land acquisitions, and we're looking at a couple of uh, trophy office buildings, again, against the grain. Office people get scared, but our viewpoint is once at some point people want to go back. Mm -hmm. And there are office buildings that uh, have uh, long-term leases, nine, 10 years left into them that we fundamentally are in in a great location, great place, one of the top 20, 30 cities. And you you can really come in and buy a deeply discounted asset, uh, just because of the fear factor, yeah. right? And and that allows us to bring in ten years worth of returns for our investors. That is truly mailbox money. So we're yeah. excited about that asset class as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you know, just jumping on that point. I mean, with people fleeing to the the telework options, you know, I, I telework right now from the Pentagon. You know, with people yeah. exercising the telework option more and more often, I think a lot of people have looked at the office space and just kind of fled. But obviously, that creates opportunities. And if you yes. get in the right space, right time, buy for pennies on a dollar. And you know, once again, contrarian, but you know, sometimes it's the contrarian that wins. Exactly. So, all right. Well, that said, let's let's introduce our, our aspiring investor. We got Ramil Torres here on the line with us. Ramil is a civil service transportation station agent in the San Francisco Bay Area and concurrently operates a sports collectibles business. And before joining his civil service position, he co-owned and operated bowling pro shops in two separate bowling centers. He also worked at his local sports radio station after earning his bachelor's degree in radio and television broadcasting from San Francisco State University. His motivation to invest in real estate stems mainly from his family and buying time. And we'll talk a lot more about that, you know, as, as we get to it. So, you know, that said, Ramil, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, yeah. So super excited to have you on. So why, why don't you uh, give us a little intro to who you are and and what brought you to you know, want to invest in multifamily? Um, yeah. Hi, I'm Ramil Torres. I'm from uh, San Francisco, California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents uh, immigrated from the Philippines okay. in the early 60s. So like um, Hemel's story, my dad was about 19 when he came to this country. So everything that I do, I'm like very grateful for. Um, what my parents have done for me. So we'll get back into that later as to my burning why. Yeah. So yeah, a little bit about my background. Um, I went to school with a uh, communications background. Mm-hmm. I studied uh, radio and television. Um, one thing I wanted to do was I wanted to work in radio. I wanted to be a DJ mm-hmm. or I wanted to work in sports on the broadcasting side. So as I was studying in high school, I was applying for uh, for different colleges and I ended up at San Francisco State. Mm-hmm which um, has one of the best broadcasting uh, programs in the nation. Of course, I wanted to be on the cool route and and live away from home and party, but uh, that didn't happen. And I'm glad I didn't do that because I was able to save my parents a lot of money, Mm -hmm. get my degree, and then eventually get out into the workforce. Yeah, I missed out on the party scene in college as well. But sometimes I look back at it and, you know, maybe maybe wish that I, I would have done a little more. But I don't know. I don't know where I'd be today if I went in any other route. But I, I think end of the day, you know, you, you go to college for an education. You know, I, I tell tell my daughter this 
told her this quite frequently. Sometimes it's the connections you make there that, that are more important than education, but well, good enough. So now you, you also have, you know, wife and kids, correct? Right, right. I'm married and I have uh, two boys. Okay. Now, how old are the boys? Uh, Sean is nine and Joey is, oh my gosh, is he six now? six. <laughs> he just turned six. Okay. Yeah. I, I've got, I've got a nine-year-old myself and a, and a five-year-old and I got one in between there too. So yeah, good, good ages for you. So what, uh, what made you decide to get into multifamily? Oh man, I was kind of all over the place with my career uh, after I graduated college. So I worked at the radio station for about four or five years. And then I realized maybe the broadcasting business wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. So and I worked for the state of California for about four years. And then I don't know if you guys remember Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor of California. Yep. Yeah. This I, I was, lived in California when that happened. Yep. Yes. And they were talking about, you know, possible layoffs or whatnot. So I was always trying to find ways of trying to make extra money. I thought, let's let's let me try and do something fun that I liked. So I opened two bowling pro shops mm-hmm. and two bowling alleys. And I thought that would be something fun to do. I would get to know the people in the community since I would bowl league once or twice a week. um, Everybody kind of knew who we were. So we kind of created like a community within a community. People would come to the pro shop and say, hey, uh, you know, um, I need some help with my equipment. And then we would help them. And then Mm -hmm. in turn, they would tell other people in the bowling alley. and And then sure enough, they figured, oh, these guys run the, the pro shop. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a few years. And then I got out of the partnership because um, we had found out that my son was diagnosed with autism. So mm-hmm. I said, you know, let me step back and um, let let me just um, work on my full-time job right now. And that's when multifamily came into play because I was in college or near the end of my college career, I was getting into real estate and I took a class in California real estate principles and I never took the test. And I looked back and I thought, you know what? How can I buy time? Yeah. And and then the light bulb went off. I said, how can I spend more time with my kids? Like, how can I maybe in the future, if I'm not working for the city of San Francisco anymore, how can I do it at night? And I thought, you know what? Real estate. Yeah. And I ran into YouTube. I I I ran into Rod Cleef's one of Rod Cleef's videos, and and I thought, wow, you can really scale, and you, the taxes advantages and everything, and that's that's how I got here. Yeah, I mean that, that that's an amazing journey, you know, and hopefully we can we can get you a kickstart on this, you know. So you you're really looking to spend more time with your family. You've got a son with autism, and that was your older son, correct? So you're yes, you're, yes, you're firstborn. Yep. So, so your older son with autism and you just want to spend more time with them. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, real estate is something that can definitely help with that. You can help create the passive income and get you to where you need to be. So that said, Ramil, we got Hemel on the line here. What do you want to ask him? Yeah. Hemel, Hemel, good to meet you. Good, talk, good to talk to you earlier, uh, <laughs> right before we went on. One of my big questions was um, I have this tendency to uh, overthink yeah. And I'm, I'm I'm one of those people where everything has to be perfect before before I do it. And one one quote that that struck a chord with me was Rod Cleef would say, "Fire, aim, ready," or or is it the other way around? Do you guys know? Yeah. So ready, aim, fire is standard, but sometimes yeah. you got to fire, ready, aim. Right. Right. Is what he says. Yeah. So with that said, looking at deals, Hemel, you mentioned earlier that there's a lot of key measures and. 
and I know you guys go against the grain and, and that's something I like to do with my, my sports collectibles business as yeah. well. Can, can you tell me about when you look at distressed properties and, and stuff like that? And then also at the same time, you want to create community. Um, and I, I really like that. I, I really like the sense of the community of, of bringing people together because that's that's what's really going to get both parties involved are, are going to benefit uh, the investors and, yep. and the community. Can, can you look, tell me a little bit about how, how you guys, um, you know, like research for these properties and, and, you know, you know, being, being in the Carolinas, having boots on the ground, I'm sure that helps as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a fantastic question. Right. Um, and I talk about overthinking or shiny object syndrome. I mean, if you're looking at multiple asset classes, you get so, you know, it's easy to get distracted. Um, and, and so, you know, what we did, you know, coming coming from my background, I can't do anything without a spreadsheet or PowerPoint, right? <laughs> so uh, what we did was we were like, okay, what do we need first of all from a market economic standpoint? So we, we got data points on every town, uh, literally every town in the United States that has more than 50,000 in population. Mm-hmm. And we looked at their housing growth, income growth, population growth, uh, and crime statistics, trajectory in the next five years, any big news, et cetera. And we honed in on a subset of markets and said, these are the 20 or 15 places that we would love to focus on. So that was the biggest funnel that we created to make sure that we stay disciplined on the areas that we have. So once we, we, we had that, then you know we created a team of acquisitions folks who have basic criteria. So we have a multi-step diligence process on each asset class. So the first step is whether you're outbound reaching out to direct to sellers or brokers are reaching out to you with regards to opportunities distressed or stabilized. The first thing that happens, it doesn't even reach my desk. We have the acquisitions team. They would underwrite using the set criteria we have. The first level of, we have multiple financial models as well. So the first model is just for the acquisitions team, tweak 15, 10 to 15 numbers whether it's, you know, what kind of debt you would have, what kind of, you know, occupancy right now it is, what kind of sub-market analysis, uh, average age of the people living there, average median income of the sub-neighborhood as just examples. And they they do their due diligence and weed out probably 80% of the deals easily, right? So we, un- we can underwrite about 100 deals a month just because of that process. And out of that 100 deals, probably 15 to 20 would come to, to, to our desk at the second step, which is where we really go into where, where does the comparison lie, what kind of CapEx schedule we can have. We have certain lenders that we reach out to just to say, hey, what, what do you think about this deal, even before submitting an offer? Mm-hmm. And they are super happy to help us understand what the financial terms could be, what the insurance terms could be, et cetera. So we really hone in on the expense. And the third thing we try and do is just our fundamental philosophy is to kill the deal or the opportunity. We don't start with the fact that we want this opportunity. Mm-hmm. We start with the fact is how do we prove ourselves that this opportunity works the fundamental uh, basis is we're going to kill this this opportunity. So every piece of information that we collect, 
we talk to even the brokers and say, why would you even pick us, right? We might be living in a, an opportunity in Tulsa. Why would you pick a, a team from North Carolina? Right. Why would you assume that expenses could go from 60% to 50%? There's no magic to it, right? Why would you assume that you could increase rents by 150? Mm-hmm. What is their data-wise that helps you understand and you really have to go into the detail and understand each of those. And that's why you cannot do that for hundred deals. You have to do it for 10 or 15 deals a month and, and hone in on those. And that allows us to then take it to the third step, which is actual letter of intent, uh, physical due diligence. If it's in the Carolinas, drive by the property beforehand and then put in the, the letter of intent and the price point that we are comfortable with. Um, so we'd probably put three to five offers a month just because of that process. Okay. And out of that, you know, three to f- most of the offers right now, because where we are from a discipline standpoint, we might get outbid on. And there might be right. one or two that works in, in our favor and makes sense to us, or we might be able to pay a slight premium because more information has come up uh, based on the analysis that we've done physically uh, in terms of what type of renovations are required. And that allows us to hone in on the deal. So it's a very systematized, multi-step process um, that we've created over a period of time. And in each deal, we actually refine it. We come back to the table and say, whether the deal has passed or, or failed, we come back to the table and say, did we do something right? Or did we do something wrong? All right, yeah, one, one thing I'll add to that is, is their, their process. They, they focus on a market first. And I think that that's absolutely key. I mean, focus on several markets, but you know, once, once you focus on a market, you can dive down and you really got to get your reps. You know, it's just like, just like any sport. You got to get your reps and sets in you know, mm-hmm. before you, you really get good at it. You know? So pick a market, you know, start analyzing deals so you can understand what's going on in that market. And then from there, it, it's a lot easier to, to pull the trigger. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Brian, and and thanks, Hamel. Um, and Hamel, you 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 guys are right. Um, when when you mentioned reps, it, it's like a sport, or or it's like you're lifting you're lifting weights. Yeah. Uh, um, it's really eye opening. You mentioned go, going over a hundred deals, and then only ten to fifteen percent of them come across your desk, and then and then from there you deep dive into them, and 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 you look at them and say, hey, okay, which ones make the most sense, and and which ones meet our, our, our criteria. And then you go to the next stage of uh, LOI, or letter of intent. And then another thing I have to think about is um, competition. Yeah. There's other people bidding on it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really respect the process. This is, um, it's not easy. Everyone, everyone thinks, uh, oh, hey, I'm going to get into multifamily. I'm going to make a lot of money. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's not easy. Back. Not yeah. passively investing, anything you do on the active side, um, right. it, it really is a business, right? Mm-hmm. Again, people do it for different reasons. A lot of people do it just, you know, let me do two or three deals or opportunities and be financially free, which is fantastic. Our, our goal for our company is to build a business that could be a billion dollars, right? And if that's the case, you have to approach things with a different mindset. You have to understand what the vision, the values, the partnerships, the mm-hmm. team that you create, and the type of assets that you procure. What is it leading you towards, right? And are you going the right momentum with the right discipline and the right credibility and the right brand? 
Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Hamill. And and that segues perfectly into my next question about teams. You know, in this day and age, with you know, we're meeting through the internet, through Zoom, and we're talking right now via video. Can you can you kind of talk to me about building a team? I know this it's it's critical, and I I I'm a people person, and I want to make sure that the people that I work with are people that um, that I like and that I trust and that are good people. Uh, yeah. To me, of course, their pedigree is important too, like having, you know, the experience. But ultimately, I, I want to work with people that are good people as well. Of course, you can't have it both ways. Uh, you know, we're all, we may ruffle each other's feathers every now and then, but that's normal. But can you tell me about some of the challenges in regards to building building a team? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, if you're building a team, you need to look at three or four things, right? One is drive. The biggest thing working in the in the in the corporate world, if you have a person in your team doesn't have the drive, he or she could be the smartest person in the room, but you might not get any outcome, right? So drive, integrity is the second piece, right? Third thing is understanding their strengths. So even for the team members that we hire uh, or partner with us, we look at things like strength finders or the PE index or something that allows us to understand or through experience, understand, are they good at collaborating? Are they good at selling? Are they good at operations? Like, are they good at more detailed analysis? So understanding my own strength and understanding my team's strength allows me to build something I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. I want to be surrounded by very smart people that have the right integrity aligned with my vision and values, but I also have complementary skill sets to my mind. So that's the third thing I look for. And the fourth thing is, how do you define fair in terms of the partnership or the compensation or the goal structure that they have, right? And if you really understand that and proactively lay out with clear transparency, then most of the times, if you understand, mix those four elements together, 90% of the times in my mind, you would have a good team that at least stays there for a long period of time. Now, always, always something slips by. You can have challenges in terms of bad experience uh, with partners, team members. It's just part of the process, right? And the earlier you understand uh, you you hire you hire slow and fire fast, right? Mm-hmm. So the earlier you understand that the partnership is not working or a team member is not working, and you try and understand what their strength is, can they rotate into another role in the team or not? If not, then you know it's just you have to depart ways pretty quickly and keep aligned to your vision and values rather than trying to mold something for each team member. So. I don't know if that helps or not, but that to me that it's a, it's not a science to to find the right people, people who are driven, people who are looking to work with you, people who bring good competency, who are you know have great faith and integrity. Those that's the right recipe, and then you re- really find whether they they have the strengths that require skill sets can be built. Right, nobody starts as an expert, in my opinion. Right, if you get a good young professional who comes from a great background in terms of real estate, maybe single family, maybe wholesaling, maybe, you know, other sales processes, 
and you, you, they could be part of your acquisitions team. And in three months, they might be doing better than any one of us could be doing. So mm-hmm. you have to put the faith, the time and effort once you found the right people and really elevate them to be enabled for success. I agree wholeheartedly with everything he said. The, the one thing that I'll add is, is you have to be the good teammate as well. You know, so yes. when, when yeah. you're looking for team members, in order to attract team members, you've got to be a good team member. Everyone has to be going in the same direction, you know, complementary skill sets, you know, um, I don't think I could have said it better. But uh, you know, that said, we're, we're basically essentially out of time right now. So I got one more question for each of you. And uh, Hemel, you can go first. How can our listeners learn more about you? Yeah, uh, you could reach me at uh, hemel at exponential-equity.com. That's our, that's our brand, Exponential Equity. I'm also fairly active, not as active as Brian is, but fairly active on Facebook and LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can uh, connect with me there, and I'm happy to engage uh, with, uh, with your listeners and help them with whatever journeys they might be embarking on in the world of real estate. All right. Sounds good. And we'll, we'll make sure we have that in the show notes. So if you want to contact him, just uh, tap the show notes and you'll have links to, to his LinkedIn profile and, and his email address. And you, you also have a website at exponentialequity.com, right? Yep. yep. We'll have that in the show notes as well. All right. Ramil, same thing, same question for you. How can our listeners learn more about you? Uh, yep. Just like Hemel, I'm on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me at uh, Ramil, R-A-M is in Mary, I-L. Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. You can search for me on LinkedIn. Um, can't find me there on LinkedIn. Um, you can do a search for my hobby shop. You can just type in NorCal Hobby Shop mm-hmm. on LinkedIn and, and it'll pop up as number one. It'll say Ramil Torres, uh, yep. proprietor of NorCal Hobby Shop. Yep. And we'll put, on, links, we'll put links in the show notes as well. So if somebody's looking for it, they don't have to search. They can just tap the link. So Oh, anyway, great, yep. great. Yep, I'm on Facebook as well. So um, you can find me on Facebook, Ramil Torres. Okay, perfect. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Well, hey, hey, guys, I really appreciate your guys' time today. You know, I learned a lot and, you know, hopefully you guys had, had a good time and learned a little bit too. Thank you, Brian. Brian, thank you. It was a pleasure. Pleasure yeah. meeting you too, Hamill. Yeah. Pleasure well, meeting you as well. All right. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.